It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Now, the president is now proposing a different approach to the illegal immigration problem. And is mental health all about the money? Well, it depends on who you ask. And it's Friday afternoon. That means the donkey is shame. We'll take a walk. But first, give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. A beautiful Friday afternoon around the area. It's the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Rob Francis, Ed Dawson with you, 547-1610. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, first place we are going to go, however, is to the lovely land of Olympia, where things are getting hot and heavy when it comes to uh, reconciliations, committees getting together, trying to pack two bills into one so that they can go to the governor's desk to join us to update us and all that lovely progress. Our good friend from the Washington Policy Center, Jason Mercier. Jason, how's it going today? Hey, Robin, Ed, good to be on with you. And as you mentioned, some strange stuff this week. We saw bills fail that shouldn't. We saw bills become blank. And we saw one 27-page bill get read in its entirely line by line. Wow. Well, that must have been entertaining. <laughs> yeah, by the time the poor clerk got done, they were giving them some well-deserved applause. So what, what bill was read in its entirety? So you'll recall last summer the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the case called Janus that public sector union members, public sector employees, don't have to join a union for the right of working for the government. They can either opt in, opt out. They don't have to be forced to join as a condition of employment. Now, after that bill came out, you've seen states like California and New York and New Jersey try to basically uh, preempt that, to soften the blow to the uh, public and sector unions. And this bill, it's House Bill 1575, is Washington's version of that. So basically it would make it very easy. In fact, it could be over the phone. You can be enrolled in the union over the phone, but you would have to have a very arduous process over a very short time period to be able to get out of the union. So that's what this bill was about. It's a 27-page bill. There were 14 amendments on it. And one of the rules in the Senate is that if a member wants to have a bill read line by line and it is sustained by enough of the members, that has to happen. So when the bill came up, Senator Schessler got up. He invoked the rule and said he wanted the bill read line by line. A couple hours later, then they started the debates on the amendments. But even then, they didn't take final vote on it. So it's still pending action. Now, just out of curiosity, Jason, even if this bill does pass and is signed by the governor, I would imagine there's going to be a legal challenge. Almost definitely, and we have already seen this happen in California. And, in fact, this is not a surprise to anybody. When this was in the House, Representative Stokesbury kept trying to add amendments to it, saying, you know, when we inevitably get sued for trying to end run a U.S. Supreme Court ruling, we want to protect taxpayers and make sure taxpayers don't have to bear the burden of this. And those amendments were shot down. So what do you expect to come from uh, the situation in the Senate? Do you think this bill winds up passing? 
the governor signs and we go to court? Or do you think the common sense is going to prevail and they're going to realize taxpayer money is going to get spent defending something that's going to lose? Well, we already know that it's going to pass based upon what happened with the amendments. As I mentioned, there were 14 amendments on it, and they went down. So if there were a couple of Democrats that wanted to slow this down, they probably would have voted on some of these amendments. Because, I mean, they were really just common-sense amendments, saying that, however I can enroll in the union, so if you're going to enroll me in the union via phone call, then I should be able to opt out of the union by a phone call. Just things like this were shot down. So that indicates the votes are probably there. It is a little bit strange that they went through this three-hour process and then didn't vote on it. That could be an indication that they may want to wait until they invoke another rule. There is a rule that allows the uh, debate to be limited, so you can't talk for as long as you want. You only have a few minutes to talk. So the majority may be waiting to invoke that rule so that they don't spend even more time on this bill. Because the longer they spend on this bill, it means other bills aren't passing. I I don't want you to speculate, Jason, as to what the motive was by Senator Schessler. On the surface, it seems like a political gamesmanship of of having the entire bill read. Uh, Do you feel like that was the case, that this was just kind of a, you know, a a political maneuver as opposed to anything else? We've seen this happen before, and believe it or not, it was actually invoked on the budget, that 700-page document. And... When that occurred, though, it was because there was a surprise situation where the minority party was able to bring their budgets to the floor, so they wanted to prepare time for amendments. Because, you know, when you talk about a 700-page bill, you, you need to have time to figure out what you want to do about it. That doesn't seem to be the case with this bill, because the amendments were already available before they started debate. So it could have just been a matter of, I mean, for the minority Republicans, in particular, this bill is just a front to the Supreme Court rule, and they feel like we're trying to take away the rights of individuals that were just granted by the U.S. Supreme Court. We're setting up the taxpayers for potential litigation. So they're utilizing the tools at their disposal to make this very uncomfortable for the majority to push through. But it could just be a matter of we're getting close to the end of the week where they're trying to pass bills, and if you spend three-plus hours on this bill, you're not passing other bills. Now, we're talking with Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line Friday afternoon. We know, Jason, that the governor and the legislature have done things in the past, within the last few years, in fact, that put union special interests, especially public sector union interests, above those of the Washington state resident and taxpayer. Uh, if this, If the governor signs off on this, you already said lawsuits are just waiting to get dropped. Will this be able to go into effect once the governor signs it, or will the lawsuits prevent the bill from going into effect until it's heard through the courts? You know, this is probably most likely up to the Ninth Circuit, because this wouldn't be necessarily resolved in the state courts, because it's an implication of the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling that's probably going to go to federal courts. So whether or not it is stayed or uh, allowed to be put on hold would most likely be up to the Ninth Circuit. And if, say, said Ninth Circuit rules in favor of the legislation, we go another step higher, at which point, which obviously it will eventually, if it gets back to the state court or Supreme Court, the Supreme Court will nullify it. Does this give all those individuals who may have been, uh, for lack of a better term, schnookered into joining a public sector union, does this immediately remove them, or would they have to go through the arduous process laid out in the law? 
Well, and that's why the provisions of this bill I think that people take the most offense to is that it anticipates the, the litigation. It knows this litigation is coming, so it basically says we're not going to require the unions to provide that reimbursement for those dues if, in fact, this gets struck down. But this is why once this passes the legislature, once the governor signs it, whether it's the Washington law or it's the California law, this will work its way back up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So then it's going to be up to either employers or uh, individuals to educate themselves on what not to get on. If you get into this, this is going to be very difficult for you to get out of, regardless of what a court ruling says. Well, I think this is why you saw several amendments trying to take away the ability to be subscribed to the membership over the phone. How do you know exactly what's being said? How is that affirmative consent being given? So that in itself creates a whole bunch of uncertainty as far as did did they truly give their verbal consent? Do they now have to go through this process, through this short two-week window to try to get out of the union? At the end of the day, whether or not you want to be part of a private association or not, that is your constitutional right. The, The question is, as a, especially as a public employee, how much time and how much restriction are we going to put on you to be able to make this decision? We're talking with Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line Friday afternoon, News Radio 610 KONA. And Jason, that you know, aside from that bill and, and all the drama surrounding it, there was also some drama on the capital bond bill. Uh, it failed in the Senate. Uh, have the wheels fallen off of this cart, or, or what's the story? Yeah, usually the capital budget is the Christmas tree budget. Everybody loves it. Everybody sings its praises because they're all bringing back projects to their district. And even though the bond bill, bill vote failed, uh, I can tell you that when session comes to an end, this is going to probably pass on almost unanimously. But what happened is, the for whatever reason, the, the Senate majority brought the bond bill to the floor before they have a capital budget agreement. So basically this is, this is saying that we're going to authorize the funding for something that we don't know what the projects are. And the reason why this failed is bonds require a supermajority vote. So this gives the minority party some leverage on whether or not they're going to provide that vote. And basically the Republicans said, you know, we, we support the capital budget. We're going to eventually pass this thing almost unanimously, but we're not going to give a blank check for spending now and then allow our projects to be removed from it and have no recourse. So basically what the Republicans were saying is, wait until we have a cooked capital budget and then we'll approve the funding for it. But if we approve the funding for it now, we have no guarantee that our projects won't be removed. So I ask again, was this uh, political gamesmanship from the Democrats on this side trying to uh, sneak past uh, the bond bill for the capital projects before they actually had the, the, all the projects laid out, or was it just a simple oversight? It was just a strange dynamic all the way around because the House had already passed its capital budget and its bond bill, but the House and the Senate have not agreed to a capital budget yet. So I think from the Democrats and the Senate's perspective. You know, the, the House just passed this thing almost unanimously. Let's just do the same and we can take it off of our checklist. Whereas the Republicans are saying, you know, that, that's fine that the House did this, but we don't have an agreement with the House yet on what that capital budget is going to be, so why would we approve their bond bill? It was just a strange unfolding of, uh, prior, of I guess, how that bill was treated. 
No doubt. Got to take a time out. We're with uh, Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. More uh, goings on in Olympia that we're going to pick Jason's brain about, including the school levy issue, Rob. I just have a feeling like this is going to be a big mess before all is said and done, as if it isn't already. This is the bottom line News Radio 610 KONA. Back after this. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin A. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610 KONA. Robin Ed joining uh, us on the line is Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center, as he does uh, just about every Friday, helping uh, break down the goings-on in Olympia. And, uh, Jason, one of the items that I know is a hot-button issue and could very well lead us into a special session is the quote-unquote McCleary fix, the retooling of the, the school levies, uh, because there were, I guess you could call it unintended consequences uh, when when lawmakers thought they had figured out the McCleary funding issue. Um, we are already starting to see some of the effects. Uh, yesterday, the, the Spokane School District said they were going to lay off hundreds of teachers and paraeducators uh, because they didn't know, you know, how they were going to pay for all of them. And you have a case in Richland where uh, they're looking at budget issues. They're going to hold off until after the session and after the operating budget is completed before they make any any determinations, as I'm sure many school districts across the state are doing. What's going on with this? Yeah, it is becoming pretty clear that we are going to be facing most likely a special session on this, the 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 voices starting to talk about that are getting louder and louder. And what it's coming down to is, unfortunately, a bit of revisionist history. So if we go back in time, back to last session, the legislature put about a billion dollars more into the schools that was supposed to be there for this bridge, right? Because this McClary fix is a multi-year type of phasing thing where immediately our state property taxes were going to go up. And over a couple of years, the local property taxes were going to go down and be capped. So that was the deal. That was the uh, compromise that you're going to pay more in your property taxes at the state level. You're going to pay less at your local level. And this is going to put the state in compliance with the the Supreme Court's McCleary ruling because the state now is going to be fully funding the compensation for teachers, not the local levies, which has always been against state law. And ironically, the law is being broken. And that's what put us in this situation. But what happened is once this billion-dollar infusion of basically money to carry the school districts through as this deal was put into place, the protections on it were somehow were removed. And originally, it was supposed to be restricted that teacher contracts could not exceed a 3% increase. And those of us last summer who went through the record number of teacher strikes know that that didn't happen. There were double-digit pay raises, and in Spokane in particular, almost a 14% pay raise. And where I say that there's some revisionist history is the school districts, the reason why you saw all of these school strikes 
teacher strikes across the state. The school districts were saying, if we agree to double-digit pay raises, it's going to bust our budget. We're going to be in the red. We're not going to be able to afford these. And the teachers' union was saying, don't believe the school district. They're, they're making stuff up. They have plenty of money. The money is there. We need to get our pay raises. So you had a situation where, in Spokane in particular, since they're the ones who are now getting hit the hardest with this for these potential layoffs, you, you saw the president of the Spokane Education Association pin an op-ed saying, the money is there. They're going to, the schools are going to have plenty of money, and they're just being mean administrators, not giving teachers the pay raises they deserve. Well, the minute that contract was agreed to, Spokane basically came out and said, and we got a $30 million deficit now because of these contracts, and hopefully the legislature will bail us out and allow us to raise the local taxes back up. So that's where we are right now. The districts are coming back to the legislature saying, you know, we probably shouldn't have agreed to these contracts. We did, and now we're going to have to lay off teachers, and we don't want to lay off teachers, so you need to allow us to raise these local taxes. Unfortunately... Jason, we've got school districts that are laying off teachers, multiple school districts, in fact, that are doing that. We also know that the the uh, union negotiators that, that did these deals, there were, what, seven school districts that threatened to strike uh, if they didn't negotiate or renegotiate these contracts. They're not getting fired. They're not getting laid off. They've got their cash. So, you know, if 70 teachers here or 170 there wind up losing their jobs because of you know, the, the cash grab that happened last year, eh, yeah, it's it's casualties of war, right? Well, I think, you know, if you do this long enough, you, you shouldn't be shocked by what happens. But something happened today that I'm still, I have to make sure that I actually saw it, that it actually happened. And that is our superintendent of public instruction, the individual responsible for the K-12 school system at the state level, uh, Chris Reichtel, used to be a former lawmaker, you know, he, he was asked, because you know, he's been leading the charge in the legislature to allow these local levies to go back up, to allow the local taxes to increase to where they were before this deal was made. And he was, he was asked, you know, isn't this basically breaking the promise that the legislature made with taxpayers, that we were going to have higher state property taxes below lower local property taxes? This is his response. This is a direct quote. There are no promises in the legislature. <laughs> wow. And you wonder why the voters don't trust when lawmakers say trust us on these tax deals. Now, of course, the the, the one thing, and, and we got to take a quick break, Jason. We'll be back with with a little bit more, uh, not just on this topic, but another one that certainly has erupted over the course of the last couple of days uh, regarding the dams and some involvement with legislators there. Um, but when when you look at this. And you think to yourself, how many freshman legislators are now going to be on the hook and are going to have to run for re-election on a broken promise? I'm sure that, that again, as far as Reichdahl is concerned, would be a casualty of war, right? Well, this is why you're going to see a special session, because it's going to take them a lot of work to try to find those votes to do this. Take a quick time out. Come back with more of the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Joined by Jason Mercier of the Washington Policy Center. We come back. We will touch a little bit more on the topic we're discussing right now. And it has been a hot and heavy couple of days with letters and emails flying from concerned Eastern Washington power generators to the west side because lawmakers over there really don't know how we live. Back with more of the bottom line next. 
Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610, KONA. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509 547 1610. On a Friday afternoon and Fridays during the legislative session, most of them anyway. We are joined by Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center to help uh, help make some sense anyway of uh, what's going on in Olympia. And uh, Jason, that sometimes is hard to do, and we really appreciate you do joining us uh, to help lay it out all for us and our listeners. Well, it's kind of like being the uh, Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland making sense of Olympia. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd pay to see you in a big top hat like that. Maybe next Friday. <laughs> now, Jason, want to talk a little bit about the the dust up that happened this week regarding an undated letter that was signed by uh, western Western part of the state lawmakers, both uh, House and Senate members, and the response that it received from the eastern side of the state, particularly from those involved in the power industry. Um, how did this get, in other words, how, first question is, how did this letter uh, get out, number one? And number two, what, why the immediate and, and basically emergency response um, by power suppliers here on the eastern side of the state? Well, before we get to the, the letters, to, to understand this, we need to go back to what Governor Inslee proposed in his budget. His budget had $750,000 to study tearing down the Snake River dams. Now, a couple of problems with that. The first, the state has no role in that decision. That is a federal decision as part of a federal lawsuit. It actually may even require an act of Congress to start decommissioning the dams, even if that decision was made. So for us to spend money on that, the state really has no role. There's also the issue of... Mixed, mixed priorities, right? So he funds a $750,000 to study tearing down the Snake River dams, yet he doesn't fund an $800,000 project that would actually add to salmon restoration in the Puget Sound so that the salmon could actually be available for the orca. So you have money to tear down the dams instead of actually doing restoration projects. Now, where we are with these letters you mentioned, the House shockingly, does not have that study in its budget. So the House budget would not spend money to tear or look at tearing down the Snake River dams. The Senate budget does, however. And where these letters come in is over a dozen, couple dozen lawmakers from western Washington, nobody from the east side of the state, sent a letter to the budget writers in the House and the Senate telling them why it was so important for this dam study to be in the budget, why it's a high priority to spend this three-quarters of a million dollars to look at tearing down the Snake River dams. Now, one would think that would include some of the people who live in this area. It didn't, and that's why you saw the response from those, the, the power companies and those who rely on the dams respond with their own letter to the budget writer saying, you know, here's part of the story you're not hearing. Here's why this would be an absolute waste of time and money. And why don't you actually listen to those who live here and have the impact of the dams before making a decision? What I found interesting, Jason, was uh, it was not all uh, Puget Sound 
uh, Democratic liberals that were on there. Uh, there were some Democrats from uh, the Vancouver, Washington area, the, basically the mouth of the Columbia River, uh, that also signed on to that. Not that they are East Siders, but it wasn't just the Puget Sound folks that were doing it. I found it was interesting that, that they would sign on to it as well. As you mentioned, it was basically up and down the west side of the state, lawmakers that signed on to this. And I think one of the points that you saw from the letter from the eastern Washington people who were opposed to tearing down the dams is that the issue for the, the orca, it's the southern resident orca, it's not salmon coming out of the Snake or the Columbia, it's salmon coming out of the Fraser, and that's where the attention needs to be paid. And as of right now, they're just worried about tearing down the Snake. Well, and this is why I think that you see the study in the governor's budget is because when he had his ORCA task force, that task force got thousands of comments saying that you guys need to tear down the Snake River dams. Now, these comments were coming from New York, New Jersey, Ohio. They're still comments, but they weren't coming from people in eastern Washington. That's so they got all these comments to kind of play Solomon, say, well, you know, we don't have any role in this. We know we can't actually do this, but we're going to go ahead and study it just to make people happy. Now, did anybody mention to those individuals that are pushing for this study and pushing for the dams to come down that what the amount of silt behind each of those dams would do, not to mention there is some radioactivity still trapped back in some behind at least one of those dams? So Jay Inslee wants green glowing orcas? Well, I mean, you, you have a, a lady right now in the Everett area who's on a 17-day hunger strike because she wants to bring attention to the whales, and the only way to, for the whales to immediately get food is to tear down the dams. Even if Congress approved this, even if this process got started, you're looking at a decade-plus. That's not going to help any orca now. It's not going to give salmon there now. And for as much as we hear the governor and others say we need to follow the science, the science is already there. Science has already been laid out from the NOAA fisheries and from others that even if you tear them down, it's a nominal impact on additional salmon. So why would you lose the economic benefits for only a nominal change? Because it sounds like they're more interested in changing a way of life than they are anything else. Right, and this is why you see that those comments weren't coming from those that live in this area. They're they're coming from those who have an, uh, an agenda. We're talking with Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Uh, Jason, I found it ironic uh, today. You, you mentioned, you know, to follow the science, and, and we do follow the science here on this program. And we got a beautiful picture of a of a black hole. Uh, that scientists at NASA released earlier. Uh, but uh, I couldn't tell, was it directly over the Capitol or, or just kind of uh, Olympia proper? Because that's sometimes how eastern Washington voters feel like, is that there's this e- enormous black hole over the Capitol. Yeah, you know, when you look a little bit closer at that picture, you can see in the middle of it is the integrity of those making arguments on the capital gains tax. Right? It has been sucked into that black hole. So, yes, it is It is centered over the Olympia debate right now. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. So, Jason, where do you see things going next week? What do you see some of the earliest things uh, getting reconciled and getting to the governor's desk? Well, it's very clear that neither the House nor the Senate are going to actually vote on their tax bills until they have a budget deal. 
And that politically makes sense, right? Why expose your members to a, a risky vote that's not going to have any bearing on the budget? So we're probably going to be a couple of weeks out till we know, is there going to be a graduated real estate excise tax? Is there going to be a P&O increase? Is there going to be the change to the out-of-state sales tax for people coming over from Oregon to shop here? And the challenge with that is one of my favorite type of bills got introduced this week with a fear-inducing title called an act relating to revenue. Right? <laughs> so we we love the title-only bills, right? <laughs> so what's going to happen is they're going to come to whatever deal they're going to have, and this blank bill is going to come to the floor, and they're going to throw their tax in there, and they're going to vote on it, and they're going to say, have a nice day. <laughs> wow. Now, one, one quick thing on that title-only bill. You know, we've talked about these before. You know, these are blank bills. They're used to circumvent the legislative process. They've been around. You know, they've actually been voted on before. But something happened this week that I've never seen in my 20 years and nobody else that I've talked to has ever seen. They actually took a complete 37-page bill and made it blank. They passed it blank because they wanted to be able to go behind closed doors and negotiate the actual agreement. I've never seen that happen before. Do we know what it was about? Yes, it has to do with the data privacy. And this is actually a bill that passed the Senate 46 to 1. But when it came over to the House, it really got changed quite a bit. Mm. And what I think this indicates is there are votes for that Senate version, but a couple of members on the committee didn't want to have to upset an interest group, and that's why they decided to try to keep it alive by making it blank. Well, correct me if I, I'm, I'm, I might be losing you here. The, when one chamber passes a bill and the other chamber amends it and passes it, doesn't it have to go back to the originating chamber and get passed off on with the amended version? Well, and this is just like with the budget, where they want to do is be able to come to an agreement in secret between the two bodies, and then they'll just bring that bill and people can just vote on it once versus having to take a, a politically risky vote. Wow. Politicians going behind closed doors to figure out what's best for us. Gotta love it. Absolutely stunning. Not like it's happened, never happened before. Jason Mercier, Washington Policy Center. Always a pleasure to have you on the program, sir. Look forward to talking to you next Friday. And uh, stay safe over there. It's starting to get a little frisky. Yeah, you know, I'm going to need to have that Mad Hatter hat, I think, so I'll be sure to bring it. All right, Jason Mercier hanging with us. (laughs) Friday afternoon, bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Still have plenty more on the way. Next hour, we'll dive in. If you've noticed, you wondered exactly how your roads have been holding up since the wintertime. We're going to dive into that in a little bit. More with Bottom Line coming up. Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the Bottom Lines page at 610KONA.com. Back to the Bottom Line, presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610KONA. Bottom Line, News Radio 610KONA. It's Friday afternoon, 547 if you want to get involved in the program. You know, there is there is so much... It seems like there's more garbage going on than there is actual consensus making or lawmaking. Or is that me? No, no. I. It's again the the Democrats came into this session knowing that they had an a, a even wider margin uh, in Olympia to do more of what they want to do, and. They may have forgotten that uh, 
some of the really, really big things. Policy things are one thing, and they're getting a lot of policy things passed in both chambers and will be signed by the governor. But when it comes to the budget and any spending, you know, whether it's the operational budget or the construction budget, then they have to get the consensus, you know, a little bit anyway across the aisle. And, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the Republicans have a long memory. Uh, about uh, things that have been going on. So it, it, this doesn't surprise me uh, what's what's going on. I, you know, we kind of knew that it was going to go down this road. It's too bad. Um, but, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that the two chambers, the House and the Senate, were split. And they... There, there was some political gamesmanship, but they were almost forced to come to an agreement on on everything, you know, not just policy, but budget things, too. And, you know, maybe it'll go back to that way again someday, uh, probably more so, you know, moving that direction in the Senate than the House. But, you know, for right now, it is what it is. And I guess we should be thankful that, you know, you do need a supermajority to to pass the budget and any and any appropriation of money. Five four seven one six ten. If you want to get involved, I mean, you know, we're seeing the fallout from McCleary earlier than expected, a year earlier than expected. Though it seems like they're preparing to try and um, get in front of it, even though the answers that they're proposing are reneging on promises made to residents. We're seeing, for some reason, which baffles me. An argument over the dams at yeah. the state level. It's just stupid. It's absolutely ridiculously stupid that there is a debate raging over three quarters of a million dollars regarding dams that the state can't do a stinking thing about. And by the way, any federal agency that is going to look at doing anything with the dams is not going to take a state report into consideration. No. They're not going to take a local report into consideration. They're not going to take any report into consideration that they don't conduct themselves. So to think for one second, a $750,000 report is going to have any impact in the direction that the federal government decides to go is absolutely ridiculous. While it's egotistical, it's arrogant... To think that a study that they commission, which we know is going to be a rigged, slanted study anyway, and that they're going to present to the federal government is going to have any impact whatsoever on what the government decides to do regarding the dams. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. News Radio 610-KONA. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Mary from Kennewick. Hi, Mary. What's on your mind? So, Well, the state legislators made their own problem with the McCleary thing because they could have given the teachers... On the state, in, in, you know, their state uh, pay level, they could have given them their 3 4% increase, and then there wouldn't have been the big battles in the districts. Because it, in the past, they've had published their own, they had the state pay level. And, and so, but, I mean, their kowtowing to unions kind of created the whole thing by not continuing with the state pay scale. Appreciate the call. Thank and you very there's, much. there's no argument there at all because when you had multiple school districts threatening to strike, it's exactly what happened. 
Well, and what you well, what she's saying is that the, the lawmakers should be, you know, held accountable, and, and I think that's that's true. Uh, but again, the the school districts, you know, were pressured also by the local unions to get they failed, you know, to you know to get a big chunk of the of the money. Well, a lot of teachers did, and. Now it's they lo- they lobbied the legislatures to, to to lift the levy lid, so they can go back to illegally using that money for things that they're not supposed to be using it for. Which is gonna so what's gonna be interesting is if the legislature goes back and allows you know school districts to adjust, then are we gonna revert right back to pre McCleary? Oh yeah, you know. Are. So, so then the state supreme court uh, may weigh in, you know, unsolicited, so to speak, because it's not technically before them anymore. I would imagine that there's got to be some line or two in in the the last time the supreme court told lawmakers, and we'll be watching you or something like that right. <laughs> to see what happens, because. Again, if, if things revert back to the way they were, then all that last session was for naught. So, so what do you do? You know, you could say the, that the lawmakers shouldn't have given the school districts that money and that flexibility up front. Um, they mismanaged it. So, well, that's that's the school district's fault. Or you can. Say it's the school, it's the lawmakers' fault for for not, you know, adjusting it on their end, and just saying this is what each school district is getting, you know, like it or lump it. Uh, but it, it look, it's the the you know, I, I guess the 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 one thing is that the either the the local teachers union. Or the WEA and or both went in for a money grab, and we know. Look, we know why the WEA is such a powerful um, entity in this state. How many teachers are there in the state of Washington? K through twelve teachers. There are a ton. It is a huge voting block. It, teachers can go on strike. And cause, a, and cause a lot of problems. Not legally, they can't. True, but they can cause some problems, and the union can cause some problems. I'm not saying that they're justified in that, but I, it's a big mess. And, you know, as, as much as we thought, you know, having one party rule in Olympia was going to make things just, you know, for better or for worse, they're going to get ramrodded through. This issue, this levy lid lifting issue almost certainly is going to lead to a special session because the lawmakers are, you know, the lawmakers were asked to handle the situation, right? They thought they had handled the situation. And the school district said, nope, we're still in a bad place. We're going to start laying off teachers. Spokane's doing it already. And now they're being asked to to either go back or find a new solution to fix this issue. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two is on deck. This is the bottom line news radio 610 KONA.